such precious words to raise to our Lord together. For my Savior loves me so, Christ will hold me fast. For two weeks now, we've, we've read Jonah chapter 1 together. And after last week, uh, many of you thought that we, we were done with Jonah 1, but you see now that we're not. And we're going to read it together again in just a moment. Twice now, we've been reminded of God's great compassion for the lost, uh, all kinds of people, not just our kind of people. And we've been reminded of Jonah's waywardness. He's a runaway prophet. He ran away from God's calling to Nineveh uh, because of his attachment to the comfort and the security that was his as Israel's prophet. He just couldn't bear the idea of serving God in a way and in a place that was not personally gratifying, uh, where neither comfort nor security were certain. In that sense, Jonah was using God, not so much serving God. And we've been reminded of Jonah's contempt, hatred really, for the people of Nineveh, Israel's bloodthirsty enemies. Surely they are outside the reach of God's great mercy, he thought. And such are the obstacles of obedience among God's ambassadors today. But you know, this morning we're going to be confronted with something even worse than hatred. An even bigger obstacle than hatred when it comes to sharing the mercy of God towards sinners. And you might be wondering, well, what could possibly be worse than hatred? Deep, malicious prejudice. Well, it's simply indifference. Indifference. Jonah was indifferent to the people around him. And indifference blinds me and blinds you to the real needs of the people around us. God sends a storm to reroute his, his wayward prophet, uh, the boat that is Jonah's transport for his running from the will of God, uh, is severely tossed. We've read all of this before. And the sailors with him cry out and they row harder and they labor and toil for safety. All the while, Jonah sleeps because he's indifferent to the cry of the perishing. And friends, as we turn to Jonah 1 together once more, let's expect the Lord to give us grace, to have ears to the cry of the perishing. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. If I were to say to you, my dogs are barking, two possible thoughts might come into your head. You might have heard dogs barking, and you might have taken that statement from me to mean that I own the dogs that are barking. But what if I'm sitting down and I've got one shoe off and I'm rubbing a foot and I say my dogs are barking. You see where I'm going with this? It's got nothing to do with dogs. In English, we know all about double meanings with words and phrases. In Jonah 1, particularly verses 1 and 2, there are two double meanings that help us understand the heart of God for the lost and what on earth is going on with this man Jonah. Notice in verses 1 and 2, we read that the, the, the commission to Jonah is to rise, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. The Hebrew word translated great has a double meaning. Nineveh is great, of course, in the sense of its size. It's a a big city. It's a a populous city. And we'll say more about that later in our study of Jonah. Uh, But the word translated great 
also means significant. It means important. Nineveh is a significant city. It's an important city. Who is it important to? It's important to God. It's significant to God. Nineveh's people have an intrinsic value to God. And and the Bible repeatedly confronts us with this wonder of God's heart, which is that all people have intrinsic value to God. All people. Even people not like us, if you can imagine such a thing. And yes, Nineveh's people are wicked. Some of your Bibles say evil. I think the ESV renders that evil in verse 2. They're evil in their worship of false gods. They're wicked in terms of their violence toward others, uh, evil doing toward others. Remember, the Assyrians were, were infamous for their uh, brutality, sort of the Vikings of the Middle East. Um, but the Hebrew word that is rendered wicked or evil has a double meaning. It, it's also a word that means misery or trouble, or difficulty. Nineveh is full of people who have the kinds of troubles and miseries and difficulties that come to any people who are alienated from God. And God is moved with compassion for such people. And friends, the church today is so prone to look at people whose lives are filled with trouble and misery, and difficulties caused by alienation from God. And we shake our heads so often, and we say to ourselves, well, that's good enough for them. There they are in a ditch they dug for themselves. But listen, neither our cold indifference or our spiritual smugness reflect the heart of God. This is not God's way. God's compassion reaches those whose troubles stem from their alienation from him. How do you know that? We see it right here in Jonah 1. So these two words with double meanings uh, are used in the book of Jonah quite intentionally. Jonah is running because he has no desire for God's compassion, God's mercy to reach those people. To reach them. Uh, who, who are those people? Well, not, not merely people of another race. That kind of prejudice is there. But people whose sin has made a mess of their lives. People whose alienation from God makes them a menace, a nuisance to others. Those people. So Jonah is not merely running from God. He's, he's running from them. He's running from, from those people. And we know something of running from those people in our day, don't we? A lot of people are running to Idaho these days. <laughs> and you ask them what on earth they're doing here. They're just trying to get away from those people. <laughs> That's not meant to be funny. Those people were not merely the people of Nineveh. Those people were in the boat with Jonah. That's the point. We meet them in verse 3. 
Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I got stuck on them. Who's this them? You don't have to look for them. You don't have to search for those people. They're right there in the boat with you. Do we see them? Or do we look right past those people? So let's just consider them. The sailors, these sailors, these men, don't even merit Jonah's hatred because they don't even seem to merit Jonah's attention. He's completely indifferent to them. They are just the scenery in the background of his trip away from the will of God. Jonah hated the people of Nineveh, that's clear, but worse yet, he's completely indifferent toward these sailors. God had brought the mission field to him, and he doesn't care. How do we know he's indifferent? Well, the scripture says that he's withdrawn himself from the people in the boat with him. This is a professional religious person. This is a gospel minister. He's out of step with God for sure. And now he's blinded to the reality that the mission field is right in front of his nose. I worry sometimes that in my life as a pastor, I sometimes show indifference toward those people because my life is so wonderfully full of religious activities and meetings and commitments and planning for this and that and the other thing that I have, uh, in a practical sense, withdrawn from them. Can you, does that make sense at all? I don't, I, I don't want to be that guy. That's on me, by the way, nobody else. But listen, today, folks, it isn't so much hatred of those people that plagues the church. It's just plain indifference to them. So often, this keeps the church from hearing the cry of the lost, not way over there across the world someplace, but right here in the boat with us. How ironic that we would send tens of thousands of dollars every year as a church to our brothers and sisters in India and Nepal and Africa and so forth. And by the way, let's, may that continue. That's a blessing from the Lord. But wouldn't it be ironic if we did all of that, all the while not once mention Christ to our neighbor? I mean, how twisted would that be if it were to happen? This indifference is marked by our isolating ourselves from the lost. Those who are right in the same community with us. Indifference and isolation prevent God's people from hearing the cry of the lost. Are we okay? Let's see if we can't hear then the cry of the lost. Look at verse 5. Uh, notice that we're told the mariners were afraid. Um, these, these are experienced sailors. 
Uh, they, owe, they know all about winds and waves and ships and seas and all of this sort of thing. But this is really different this time. This is a supernatural storm. This is a God-sent storm. Um, and, it, and it's raging because it's sent by God, not merely for Jonah, but it's sent for them. It's sent for those people. Now, can you imagine a circumstance in which there would be a storm so big that it would clearly be not only for God's people, but it would be for those people. It would be for them. Can you imagine such a thing? I mean, let's just say hypothetically that there were a global pandemic <laughs> and it just rocked everybody's world. All of the wheels started coming off the cart. And everybody's in the same boat. God's people and those people, them. How many of you know the lost are fearful? The lost are fearful. Do we realize that we're surrounded by people every day whose lives are being shaken by storms sent from God? Storms sent to awaken them to His justice? Storms sent to awaken them to his mercy? A neighbor's spouse dies. A co-worker's child runs away. A marriage collapses. And financial disaster comes. Do you realize that disunity in the world causes even worldly people distress? It isn't just us. It affects everybody. I had a neighbor tell me a couple days ago, I was walking to our mailbox, and she said, um, didn't say hi, what a nice day. She just said, what do you make of what's going on in the Middle East? That was the intro. <laughs> what's, going, what's the deal with Israel? And she's afraid. Things are out of control, she thinks. And fear is the common human reaction to storms, isn't it? And such storms are sent to turn people who by nature fear storms into people who need a new nature that fears the God who reigns over the storms. Well, Jonah misses all of this, of course, because he's sleeping in the boat, completely oblivious to the fact that God has placed him in a boat with unbelievers. The mission field was brought to Jonah, and he's asleep. Reaching them with the gospel of God's justice and God's mercy is the farthest thing from his mind. And so he sleeps as the people around him are overwrought with fear. Notice also in verse 5 that these mariners are religious people. Do you realize most people on planet earth are religious people? Every man cried out to his God. <laughs> it, was, it was common in the ancient world for people to be polytheistic. They had many, many uh, false gods that they worshipped. Um, most people had a personal god, a favorite god. They had a tribal god or a family god. And then they had the whatever god they chose to help them understand 
kind of the macro sense of everything that's going on in, in the world and the universe, and you think, well, that's just, that's just ancient history. How silly that was. We, we shouldn't think that. Do, do, we, do you realize we're tremendously wrong-headed if we assume that the people around us today, uh, the lost neighbors and classmates around us, are not religious? We, we ought not think so. The lost are religious. Man was created to worship, and he does. It's just that he does not worship the God whose image he's been made in. She worships false gods. She worships her possessions and her appearance and her home and, and her self-image. And he, he, he worships his, his time and his achievements and uh, his reputation, uh, his investment portfolio, all of this stuff. Oh, they worship. It's just that this worship is misplaced, horribly misplaced. It's idolatry. And all the while, the end of this life draws near for all, for everybody in the boat. And in sending great storms, God so often intends to show people the emptiness, the worthlessness of their false gods, their their idols, the, the utter futility of any of those things providing safe harbor in any meaningful sense. For what awaits us beyond death? Well, this fearful, vain praying goes on and on, and Jonah's sleeping goes on and on. Uh, his indifference and his isolation are really stunning to us when you realize what's going on in the lives of the people around them. And, and I'm just spitballing here, guys, but I wonder if it isn't the Holy Spirit at work among us to show us how indifference and isolation from those people ought to be stunning to us in light of what we see happening in the lives of the people around us. When you think of them, when you see those people, does their fear, their idolatry, uh, the, the, the futility of the things man clings to for safety and security, does, does it bring some warmth, uh, com- compassion to the hearts of God's people? Well, by God's grace, Jonah is finally awakened, isn't he? And what is he awakened to? He awakens to the reality that he's in the same storm these sailors are in. He can't be on the sidelines anymore. This isn't theory anymore. This is life, or this is death. God purposefully places his people in the same storms as the lost they are meant to reach. This is the design of God in such storms. We'll come back to that, but for now, just just notice that the sailors want to know. Listen, the sailors want to know, does Jonah's God make any difference at all in such times? Look at verse 6. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Does Jonah's God cast out fear? Uh, Does Jonah's God hear me and actually care 
when I cry out? Do you suppose that people today look at the church and wonder such things? Does your God hear you? Does your God actually care that this is happening? Is there in your God a refuge from my fears? Do I see that in you? Is is there in your God a heart that truly cares about my plight, my problems, my storm, alienated from God as I am? Does he care? Or are we so detached from the real world problems in the lives of the people around us that we're indifferent to their plight, deaf to their cries? And you see, God will use storms in our own lives, storms in our entire community. He's done that over these last 18 months to awaken us, to get us out of our little Christian boxes, to bring us out of isolation and indifference so that we actually have to mingle with the lost people around us. The trouble with Jonah is not that he doesn't understand the gospel. He's been teaching it to church people for a long time. Now remember, he's not a rookie prophet. Jonah's trouble is that his theology is all in his head. It's supposed to be in his heart. So that from the heart, he can reach out with compassion to the lost. With this good news from the God of mercy. Jonah has an intellectual faith that is completely detached from what is actually happening in the lives of people around him. He's really good at answering all the questions nobody's asking. So Jonah is not just unconcerned for lost people. It seems to be that Jonah is uncomfortable around lost people. He doesn't want to be with them. He doesn't want to be around those people. They're the reason he ran from his commission to Nineveh in the first place. So God places him in a situation where he doesn't have the option but to interact with people who are not Israelites. You have to wonder, if God had not brought this storm, wouldn't Jonah have remained indifferent and isolated from these sailors. Because you see, he's so focused on getting away from this thing and getting off to this other thing that that he misses the people right in front of him. I wonder if you can relate to that at all. Having the kind of rhythm in your life where where, where you're so hurried to get away from that and, and, and so hurried to get started with this that you miss the people right in front of you. Well, that's, that's, that's Jonah's deal. Can you see providences in your life? Maybe even storms in your life where the more you think about it, God seems to be orchestrating an environment where you realize that you're in the same boat as a bunch of lost people and God has put you there purposefully. Now, as we read through Jonah's narrative, uh, we see that Jonah typifies Christ, don't we? And, and we've seen that these sailors typify 
the desperate means that uh, people turn to in order to save themselves, in order to make themselves right with God, to somehow appease God, having a sense of his wrath pending. And Charles Spurgeon, in one of his sermons from uh, the book of Jonah, says this. He says, when God sends a storm into people's lives, they are tossed upon the sea of conviction and make desperate efforts to save themselves. They turn to religion, he says, but man-made religion does not save. They turn to moral reform. They stop doing this and they start doing that other good thing, but moral reform does not save. It's a bit like moving the chairs around on the Titanic, right? Some even turn to theology, Spurgeon says. They hide from God in the wonderful doctrines about God. But orthodoxy, on its own, doesn't save anybody. Jesus saves. Christ alone saves. Listen to how he puts it. He says, Orthodox sinners will find that hell is hot and that their knowledge of predestination will not yield a cooling drop to their parched tongues. Now, that's a shot across the bow, isn't it? What's he saying? I mean, wasn't, wasn't Spur, Spurgeon was, was a good five-pointer, right? I mean, he, he, he preached the doctrines of grace. So clearly he's not saying that's an issue. But what he's saying is, look, we're, we're meant not to simply love studying God. We're meant to love God. And we're meant to love our neighbor enough to tell them about God's mercy. Anyway, these sailors are at their wits' end. Look at verse 11. Then they said to Jonah, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Think of this. He's saying, Don't, don't look to your praying. And it's good that you're praying. But don't stop there. Look to the sacrifice of one for the many. Don't look to your religion. True religion, that's, that's good. But if any are to be saved, one must die. Your many efforts will not succeed. It's God's way of rescue or there will be no rescue. Friend, please hear this. If God has awakened you, maybe he's even brought a great storm into your life, and he's awakened you to the reality that there is a far greater storm awaiting you at the end of this short life. Judgment awaits you. And you know your efforts make no progress toward your safe harbor for eternity. Don't stop at your praying. Go farther than that. And don't stop at being more religious. That, that won't be far enough. And for heaven's sake, don't just hang out with intellectual people who love their doctrine more than their God. Doctrine alone does not save. Christ alone saves. So you've got to go all the way to the remedy God has provided. 
You got to go all the way to the cross of Jesus. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You see this pictured in Jonah? See, in in Adam, we all face justice, judgment from God, wrath for sin. We're, We're all in the same boat that way. And yet it is through one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, God the eternal Son, his obedience not only in living the perfect life that you and I have not lived, but his obedience further in going to that cross and taking upon himself the wrath of God for his people. That alone calms the deep sea of God's wrath toward you. If you'll just run to him and cling to him, he'll hold you fast, for he loves you so. Have you quit your efforts to be on good terms with God, simply trusted in Christ? Notice how the sailors struggle to accept this one man dying for many business. Look at at verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. They're rowing hard. They're digging deeply into the waters with their oars. Uh, Lots of effort, much exertion, uh, no success. (laughs) I was talking to somebody just a couple, three days ago who said, you know, if it weren't for other Christians in my life, I'd still be out there trying to save myself. And, And I wonder, I wonder... How many of our neighbors, how many of our classmates, how many of our coworkers need to have some Jonah in their life, some imperfect Christian, prone to wander, a bit messed up every once in a while, who nonetheless will speak of the living God and God's remedy for the lost? Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. This is fascinating. They're no longer praying, calling out to a God, their gods. They now plead with the God who is, the one true God. They're crying out to Yahweh, Jehovah God. What do you suppose they mean by those last words? Oh, Lord, you have done as it pleased you. Do you suppose they mean it pleased the Lord to send the storm? Yeah. Do you suppose they mean it pleased the Lord to save many through the death of one? I think so. Isaiah 53.10 says, It pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus. It pleased the Father to bruise the Son, to, to toss His own Son into the sea of His wrath 
so that all who trust in the Son will never experience God's wrath for sin ever. So they picked up Jonah, they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The men are saved only by the sacrifice of another. And how sufficient this sacrifice is. Notice how the sea is not the only thing calmed. The men themselves are calmed. That turmoil of soul, that fear of God's storming wrath gives way to peace. And it gives way to calm among the sailors when Jonah is cast into the sea. Let me ask you something. Do you know that peace? Do do you know that calm, that, that assurance of soul, that all is well between you and God? Are you resting in the sacrifice of the one, the Lord Jesus? These sailors move from fear to faith. How do you know whether you've moved from fear, just just raw fear of God, to faith in God? Well, think of it this way. What do you do when the crisis is gone? What do you do when the crisis is gone, when the storm passes? Are you still praying? Are you still worshiping? Are you still listening to God and His Word? It still delights your heart to worship Him in the company of God's people? Or are you right back to living as if God doesn't exist until the next storm comes? First the atonement, then the sanctification, right? Look at at verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. (laughs) The Lord begins to clean them up, doesn't he? Out of sheer gratitude for his mercy, they worship. And isn't that true of us? Those who take shelter in Christ, isn't it out of sheer gratitude, not just raw terror of God, but sheer gratitude for his mercy that we obey him and we serve him? Let me just end with this. And I mean that literally. We're going to end right now pretty much. Um, What do you suppose the Lord means for us to hear in a a passage like this, as as much as we've already looked at it? Well, certainly we can learn from Jonah that indifference and isolation render us useless as Christ's ambassadors to the people around us. We, we, We can't deal with people on such a superficial level as Jonah did at first with these sailors. And God will use means, if it pleases him, to mix us all up in the same boat. That's a blessing, not a curse. And you know, it won't matter how many tracks we leave at someone's door if they don't believe we really notice them and care about them. And all of our doctrinal prowess will have no value if it's not put to work in compassion for the lost? Am I indifferent and isolated from the lost so that I don't hear their cries? Or I don't care when I hear them? I'm putting that in the first person because I'm I'm meant to ask myself that. 
not so much you. Secondly, and lastly, God's people go through the same storms as the lost a lot of the times, don't they? Why is that? So we'll show the difference it makes to know the living God as we're going through the same storm. Do I respond differently to life storms than the lost people around me? Do, do, do I know that they're looking at me saying, does your God care? Has your God have any compassion for me in the midst of this? Any answer? You see, Jonah eventually came to the end of himself. He stopped focusing on Jonah and started focusing on God. And there are some who read Jonah saying, hey, throw me into the sea. Oh, he's depressed, he's dejected, he's a failure, he just wants to end his life. I don't think so. There's something really wonderful going on in the heart of Jonah, and we know that when we read chapter 2. Jonah all of a sudden has been awakened to realize that all of this is to do with the glory of God. At some point, fear and self-preservation and comfort and security had to give way to self-abandonment for God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you that we uh, need not labor uh, very much at all to find that it meets us right where we live. Lord, you know our hearts, and you've written this scripture to reveal yourself to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that as you have exalted your son Jesus, you would, you would draw those who are apart from you to the safety and security of your salvation in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would awaken any among us here, among your people, who have grown a bit indifferent, who, who are prone to isolate from the very people you've put in our boat to reach. We ask you this, Jesus, for your namesake. Amen.